Petersfield's Shine Radio. You're listening to Talking Books, presented by Susie Wilde and Tim O'Kelly. Hello, I'm Susie Wilde and you're listening to Talking Books for Petersfield Shine Radio, where each month I choose a treasure from the past. This month, a slight nod to Halloween. And I'm Tim O'Kelly of One Tree Books, your guide to some interesting, I hope, new books... We're here in the shop chatting about everything to do with books over a cup of coffee, so pull up a chair and join us. Susie, you've just come back from the Isle of Wight. I have, yes. I didn't know that you knew, and it was absolutely wonderful. We did lots of walks on Tennyson Down because we were staying in Brookhouse where Winston Churchill and Garibaldi and co um, stayed. And you went to Freshwater and to, to, to Tennyson's house and around there? Or? It was shut because of Covid. Of but course. yes, I did quote a bit of Tennyson to my poor Wild Walk listeners. Well done. Also the home of Anthony Minghella, the, the, um, the film director, who's, uh, uh, who did The English Patient and Truly Madly Deeply. Oh, was he? That was him. Yeah. yeah, I forgot all about that. The ice cream legend. We yes. used to eat his ice cream, well, his dad's ice cream, I think, in Portsmouth. Yes, indeed. Well, this month, John Wellsman meets author and bookseller Bob Stone of Right Blend Books, Liverpool. And I'll be talking rainbow shelfies. Um, Um, What on earth is that, Susie? uh, Well, listen, that's the thing to do, because the interview is going to be coming up very soon. um, And it's my interview with author and bookstagrammer Mel Rogerson. And probably you won't know what that is either, Tim. Absolutely. (laughs) Right, well, I'm going to chat with her now, but as she lives up in the Peak District, it's going to be a phone call. Well, I'm here talking to Mel, who I met on uh, a writer's retreat ages ago. Can you remember when it was, Mel? I think it was probably about two two or three years ago that we went on that retreat. Yeah. Oh, well, how fabulous to talk to you again. But tell me, your life has taken a different turn. So can you tell us all what's happened? Where are you now? I have a bookstagram account and a book blog called The Book Family Rogerson, uh, which I post our family's bookish, bookish adventures on. And this includes literary days out, um, book reviews and book tips. That has become quite a big part of my life now, much bigger than anticipated, and has led me to change my career. So it's been a long journey and uh, quite a surprising one. God, that's a major change. But now you're going to have to explain to me, and I hope a lot of listeners won't know either, what what is a bookstagrammer? What what does that mean? Well, bookstagram is the bookish arm of Instagram, the social media platform. And that's where book lovers all over the world create uh, photography which is themed around books. So this can be displays of books, it can be pictures of individual covers, creative bookish photography, um, and also of kind of literary travels. So really, it's, it's a community, it's a subculture within Instagram, uh, where you basically just follow people who post about books and talk about books. I mean, obviously, I see yours because I have followed you for a long time, so I didn't know there was this other aspect 
to it. Um, but, oh, I just love some of the things, the pictures that you actually make with books. Can you sort of say more about that to sort of describe them so listeners know what, what I'm talking about? Those book pictures, I went through a phase of taking our book covers and arranging them uh, on the hall floor so that they actually <laughs> work together to create a larger picture, a bit like a mosaic made from books, I guess. Were you at the top of the stairs then? Yes. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so we were, we, yeah, so we, we moved house and I think it was just one day I was, I was playing around and feeling quite creative and thought, I'll just try this. Went upstairs, took a picture looking down from the stairs into the open hallway and the picture emerged and uh, the first one I made of those actually got featured by Instagram because they used to have a project called the weekend hashtag project where they would give a prompt and then people from Instagram would create a photograph around that theme and mine actually won and uh, was featured on their grid. So once I'd made one, I thought, yes, I'll I'll make a few more. And um, I was actually featured a second time for a different picture, a different style of picture, but again, equally as, as whimsical. I'm glad you said that. One of the aspects I really love about them, they always make me smile. Um, So in a way, yes, I love all the sort of reading nooks and crannies that you find as well. And we can all relate to that. It's like a rainy afternoon curled up in a gorgeous armchair. And that's easy to sort of recognise. If I can put a couple of your photos on our website, um, so that if anybody does want to actually see, that would be fantastic. Or follow Mel on Instagram at the book family Robinson. I see that's what I did Robinson I just wanted to say it so I see what you did there the book family <laughs> Rogerson um, and that can be found on the transcript of this program as well so that's fine so let's move on a bit now let's talk about Giles Corran because he's saying that books are dead um, and that actually you're stupid if you have physical books in the home what do you make of that obviously disagree with Giles Corran um <laughs> Well, I think it depends on how you read and where you are in your in your book bookish journey, shall we say. On Bookstagram, there is a huge market for physical copies. And in fact, a lot of the book photography revolves around book collections. So uh, particularly amongst younger women. So we're talking about perhaps the 18 to... 25-year-olds actually collect editions. Evidently, Giles is not part of that uh, that group and is <laughs> perhaps not aware of this absolute appetite for physical copies for collections. Well, I think he sneers at that, actually. He's got, I've got a little bit here. I couldn't, you, you mentioned the paywall yourself and it does irritate me in the Times because I had that as well. Without having to remember to go to a bookshop later, to be jostled by a load of bone thick interior decorators looking for the beige section. So I don't think he's trying to be reasonable, do you? No, and I think you do realise that readers are actually reading the books as well, or shall we say collectors are reading the books as well, because they're reviewing the books. Oh, that's good. They're sharing the books. Now, that doesn't happen 
all the time on bookstagram but certainly on a book blog it does because obviously that's about the writing rather than the image itself so there's a huge appetite for reading especially i think since lockdown and since covid because people have less opportunity to go out and enjoy things like going to the cinema or going to the theater or going out for meals so they're turning to books at home um although one thing i do agree with giles is space can be an issue and i think when you do get to a certain point where you have filled up all your space with physical books then yes audio and ebooks i'm at that point myself in that I love physical books, but actually I have been listening to a lot more audio recently. Oh, yeah. I Now, I've just got into audiobooks and we do talk about those on Talking Books. Um, we sort of did a sort of little trial run, John Wellsman and I, at the start of this. Um, and we will mention it again because it, it's so important to get the right voice for the right book. And I'm actually recording my own audiobook of book one. Um, and let's see how that goes. Where I disagree with Giles is that I actually, well, I disagree a lot, but one of the things is I think it's really important to move things on. So I don't hang on to all my books. I like to give them when they're pristine, I give them to the library or pass them on generally. And that sort of, it's like passing on energy. Then you can make space for your new books to come in and it it just keeps me reading. Yes, I think that is something as well that a lot of book lovers grapple with is is which books to keep and which books to pass on. But you're right, Susie, there's so many different ways in which you can share books, whether that's between friends and family, the library, giving them to charity shops. There's a huge amount of uh, possibilities to to share books these days. And that is the great thing about physical books, Yeah. Does it seem to you that books are being talked about more since the virus? I, mean, I think you're right. I think reading and people are sort of saying, I've read everything on my shelves. But do you think it's just out there more now? I think the bookish community has always been very enthusiastic about books. So there's not been a huge change within the core reading addicts, I would say, that I come across online, where I have seen the changes outside of that circle. So uh, family and friends are reading more often and say they're they're starting to explore new ways of of accessing books like audiobooks. I think a lot more people are trying to listen to that, whereas perhaps in the past they haven't had the time to do so. I'm hearing that a lot of bookshops have had surges in sales Uh, particularly independent bookshops and in the media as well it seems there's a growth in in uh, new kind of programs that are coming our way Uh, not that I know a huge amount about that at the moment but on my radar it seems as if more people are creating book clubs and just generally there seems to be more of an interest yeah Oh, that's I'm really glad about that. I mean, obviously, it's my bread and butter, as you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's but I just love the fact, you know, having taught as well and and you've been there with your own writing and so on, just to get the stories out into the world is just so satisfying. Well, I think we're lucky that we have a really rich creative culture in this country. And, you know, that that's been developed over you know many many hundreds of years and it still continues to evolve so yeah and I think the other the other great thing at the moment in the book world is is 
the explosion of own voices and new voices that's very evident from uh from the social media platforms that people are really trying to read more widely now as well and look at a lot of different types of voices in the book world and that that i think we'll just see that grow over the next few years and become a lot more mainstream well, absolutely. And, and, you know, that's what Tim and I are hoping to do. So if anyone is out there and has any suggestions for us, uh, we'd love a diversity in voices on the radio as well. Absolutely. That's such a good point, Mel. I thank you so much for chatting to us. I know how busy you are. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. And let's talk again soon if you've got anything else you want to share with us here in Petersfield. Thank you very much, Susie. It's been lovely to speak to you. Well, it takes all sorts, doesn't it? Um, I like a description of it as being whimsical, and I think I think it definitely is. It's a place for all the, all sorts of things in this world, aren't there? Say what you actually said off mic, Tim <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> whimsical. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> I think I think it's fair to say it's more a female uh, thing, possibly. But she does praise bookshops, so we're all in favour of that, aren't we? Good. So now we 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 better get started on what we're currently reading. So. Susie, what have you been reading recently? I'm cheating a bit, Tim, because I'm still reading my backlisted choice, so I'll be talking more about that later. And unlike you and Giles Corran, I don't get through 300 books a year or whatever nonsense he says he does. I mean, that's like inhaling them rather than reading them. Um, But anyway, thanks to your tip last month, I read Richard Osman's book in one weekend. And what did you think of it? I have to admit, I did enjoy it. I must say that I think if it had if it had been written by anyone other than Richard Osman, it might not have got off the slush pile, um, which isn't to say it doesn't deserve to. But there are a lot of other people that, you know, if a sort of, let's say, pensioner had written saying, I'm writing about pensioners solving murder, it probably would never have seen the light of day. Well, I don't know. I, I think what he does bring to bring to his, his writing is he's got his humour and wit really comes out. And I think the book is actually very funny and clever and quite poignant in parts as well. So we, it, we No, I agree absolutely with all of that. I'm just saying it has to be read in the first place it does. Um, it yeah, does. Yeah. to work its magic. So um, that's Richard Osman. The other one. So, in fact, this programme, listeners, is going to cost me a fortune because every time I'm talking to Tim, I then go and buy the blasted books. So I also bought Summer Water, Sarah Moss, which I read in one sitting, if you missed last month's programme, Tim said that Sarah Moss brilliantly gets into the mind of each of her protagonists and there's an understated menace that is lurking beneath the surface. Actually, I've just thought that ties in with what I'm going to say about my book backlisted choice later too. So there's a bit of a theme of underwater menace going on here. Um, but anyway, I, I did say last time that I worry when you have lots of different points of view and I think it's it really is cleverly done but I didn't find that my emotions were as engaged as if she had as in Ghost War plumped for a couple of key protagonists and really got under their skin because I therefore cared more about what happened as it was I can stand on the sidelines and applaud the book I think she writes brilliantly, particularly about domestic detail that completely pins each person. But I didn't really care what happened by the end. 
Fair enough. I think that that's reasonable. I think because there are there are a lot of characters in this book, and and it's a short book, so it's difficult to um, to really get us to, to to plump for any particular character. So, but but I didn't mind that. I like I I just loved her her style and the 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 menace that was built up throughout the book uh, with this, with this stunning conclusion. As usual, I've got a, I've got a few books on the go at the moment. Um, I've been reading. This Mournable Body, the one of the Booker Prize shortlists by Siti Dangarimbga, uh, which is set in Zimbabwe. I'm only 100 pages in, and it is quite a challenging read, I have to say. But I, I'm glad I started it. I'm going to, I'm going to finish um, this Mournable Body. I think definitely. I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's part of my job is to is to <laughs> get stuck into the, the Booker Prize. You every don't year. have to suffer. Uh, no, but I, but it, it, I need to read it so then I can say, you know, to other people. It's great, or it's hard work, and I, I'll I'll be giving you a, an answer, definitive answer next time. <laughs> but I did see about the booker list that the, you know, out of the list of books, they were all there were little just praises of what they were all about, and it was all seemed very depressing. Well, we're, I'll, I'll, I'm not sure yet. Um, what is what I do find a little bit depressing is that that five out of the six books the authors are living in America, uh, which is a bit of a shame because we're not don't get a feel. Uh, necessarily for what's going on in in particularly in English fiction or, or British fiction right True. now. Um, there's one one Scottish book, and there are no books by English people living in England right now in the book. So that's a bit of a shame. Um, the other book I'm reading uh, is Ruth Jones's uh, first book called Never Greener. It she's the she's the writer, of course, of, of and actor in in Gavin and Stacey. Uh, and I have to say. I'm a little bit disappointed so far. Oh. It's not really. Um, it's quite. It's a bit too light. I think um, some good characters, some interesting storylines. I'm not sure it's really for me. But I'm, again, I'm going to finish it, and I'll be able to give you a, a, a good opinion next time. Is it? Is it comedic? Um, not necessarily. No. It's quite. It's about. Um, it's about two couples, really, uh, okay. and their lives, and and uh, the interaction between the two of them. Okay. Which is it, which is problematic to say the least. Uh, so that was so that's that's quite interesting. Another book I've been dipping into is a hundred great Black Britons. Seeing as it's it's Black History Month oh. this this month, I thought I'd give it a give it give it a go. Um, and I found some interesting things actually. I found that uh, we are, one of one of the one of the great Black Britons lives just up the road in Chichester. Oh wow! Um, who's the the first professor of of uh, history, Black professor of history in the country at so, Chichester University? Or that's elsewhere. right. Yes. Wow. So um, so yeah. So that's my my selection of, of books that I'm reading at the I'm moment. I'm really interested in that book. Um, when I was teaching, I I tried to teach Black history. Um, because uh, even though I taught English, because I was struggling then, it seems ridiculous now to find real quality black authors. So I thought there must be loads of black history and there really wasn't then. Well, that's why we need a book like this. Yeah, yeah. So, Tim, what's coming up that we need to look out for? Well, there's a new novel by Dawn French called Because of You. I'm making a face. Listeners can't see this, but I have to say this is now the third celebrity novel that you have picked out and, you know, people like me, the bottom feeders like me, get so depressed. Tell me it's bad. Well, I'm f- sorry, Susie, but it's not bad. Um, I think she's she's got quite a talent, Dawn French. She tells a good story. Uh, I'll tell you how it starts off. There's two two mothers go into, uh, into labour at the same time in a hospital. Um, only one mother walks out with a baby. Oh, 
So that not any more than that. Um, other than that, it's a it's a story that evolves over over eighteen years. The story of the, the what the, the whole child's book life. evolves over eighteen years, yes. or does it jump to? No, it it we 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 follow the next eighteen years until until Fine. the child uh, becomes eighteen and oh. has. No, so. that sounds a bit tedious to me. I'm sorry, not okay. that I'm remotely biased. Okay, good. That's one book. Another book that's just come out in paperback is James Holland's new book, Normandy 44, which is about D-Day and the battle for France in in June and July of 1944. Um, It's an extraordinary book. Um, What he does is he tells both the history from a um, a sort of over-the-top point of view, from from on high, but he also tells the stories from the individual soldier's perspectives as well both both german and english what has he interviewed them is this from from just from original sources okay. i think actually there are very there aren't that many of the soldiers no, uh, yeah, around to interview now right. it, and he he managed to and he creates this this balance between the two sides and also the story of of this amazing campaign where more people were killed per day than the battle of the somme Gosh. and it was a it was a brutal campaign um and it's one that we can need to get to access, visit it. I mean, I, I've I spent uh, been a couple of times. I've been to the to the Normandy, the beaches. It is it is it's a very sobering experience going there and seeing these huge um, cemeteries everywhere you go. So, uh, but what James Holland does, as I say, is he brings it all together and tells a really good story. And is he a lively writer? Because it's a very very thick book. He's a very lively writer. I'd say he's he's not like a typical dry historian. He really brings the brings it to life, um, and I think he's uh, he's great. Oh, that's good. There's one more I wanted to talk about, which is just out in in hardback, another novel um, by Anne Tyler ah. called Redhead by the Side of the Road. It's only a short book, and it's very it's very easy to read. It's set in Baltimore, like all her novels. It's got these interesting, quirky characters in it, um, like she always does. And it's she tells a great story. Isn't it funny? I'm ashamed to say I have not read an Anne Tyler. It's one of those things people keep saying, you must, you must, she's so brilliant. And I don't know why I haven't. It's not been a deliberate thing. So I might just try that because it looks like my kind of size. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing you can always do, they, they made a film out of The Accidental Tourist. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, I that. did see that. Uh, which that's a, cheating, isn't uh, it? <laughs> <laughs> for a fellow author that's really cheating that's brilliant tim thanks very much i really look forward to those i think we should chat to bob stone now of right blend liverpool bob tell us something about yourself the area you're working at, and something about your shop the shop's based in waterloo in liverpool it's um it's a suburb of liverpool probably I don't know, five or ten miles away from the city centre. It it has been in its day quite a thriving shopping area with two main shopping roads. But um, over the years, it has run down quite a lot. A lot of the shops have been taken over by bars and restaurants rather than retail outlets. So the road that we're in, South Road, is actually quite um, quite a schizophrenic road in a way. It's got a one identity during the day and a completely different one at night. We've been here five years now. The building that we we took over actually used to be at one time before we had it. It was a gym downstairs and a Costa Coffee upstairs. But we now have the bookshop downstairs and uh, our own coffee shop upstairs. But it's a good space. It's a good big shop, which means we can, in normal circumstances, we can do um, good size events. Tell me something about the area that the bookshop is in, because I believe it's in a, and forgive me if my terminology for this is, is wrong, a, m- a more impoverished part of Liverpool? One time, Waterloo was was quite an affluent area. It's right next door to Crosby, which is 
which is much more affluent. But just at the end of our road, there's uh, there's a row of huge uh, Victorian houses, which at one time were where quite a lot of wealthy people lived, including, um, among other people, the captain of the Titanic and also um, Mr. Ismay, the um, the architect of it. These days, though, it is, um, it's rather less. So there's quite a lot of lower incomes in the uh, in the nearby nearby areas, uh, and Waterloo itself has suffered over the years for that. Describe to me how that works as a success for you as a as a small independent bookshop, assuming that the the, the perception might be that that people on lower incomes would go to a library rather than come in and actually physically buy books. Well. Although, I mean, as as we said, there are there are quite a lot of people on lower incomes around here. There are still enough people who are more of our target audience, um, and people do come from um, from some distances away to to come to a good independent bookshop. So we do we do um, attract quite a quite a broad uh, spectrum of customers. Plus, with having the coffee shop upstairs as well, um, it means people can just drop in for a cup of coffee and at least we're getting some trade like that. But really, um, what we've tried to do is is set ourselves up as, um, as a bit of a community cultural hub, really. We have various events. We have, in normal circumstances, we have various children's groups that meet here. We have an open mic poetry night once a month and author signings so there's plenty there's plenty to attract people um although like every bookshop we are we're struggling all the time up against uh, the online retailers and the supermarkets but we do still still attract quite a quite a broad clientele really so what's the appeal of in your opinion of an independent bookshop like yours as opposed to possibly someone popping along you've, you've mentioned supermarkets and the online retail uh, book industry but what's the appeal of your shop do you think in in relation to someone like waterstones or one of the larger chains well one of the one of the main things that i try and do here um is support independent authors and independent publishers i know perfectly well that i i can't compete with tesco and asda for the prices of the latest bestsellers but it also means that if i deal with um good independent authors um i can stock books that you can't get anywhere else necessarily and particularly in in the children's books for example children's picture books i've got some beautiful books that you won't see in tesco um you probably won't see in waterstones because that again is quite a difficult market to break into for independent authors i get to support them I get to have interesting books on my shelf that, um, as I say, you won't necessarily get anywhere else. When you, you have a small independent like like me, if customers come in and they want to chat, they want to browse, they want recommendations, then there's there's somebody here that they can they can always talk to, and that's that I think is particularly important when you're competing against the supermarkets. The supermarkets tend to have shelves full of books which are, if you like that, you'll like these. Whereas if you go into Tesco and say, well, I quite like uh, this particular book, have you got anything else by that author? The answer will be, have we got it on the shelf? Whereas I can order it or I can recommend other authors that are similar that customer might not have heard of. Um, You get the personal touch in in a bookshop like this. I think the customers appreciate that. I think books are particularly one of those um, areas where 
you do like to have somebody who can recommend something that you've never heard of before and who, if you come in often enough, you know you can trust the recommendations as well. Given that, how do, how do your customers then get to hear about the, the, the smaller authors, the less well-known authors? What What is it that that one attracts them to those authors and, and in discovering them in the first place. But secondly, then obviously finding your shop as, as an outlet for that. I think it's, 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 it's the other way around. Once, once they've found us, which is either by accident or design, then I can, I can introduce them to, to other books. I do keep the, I keep obviously the, the books prominently on display and with things like, um, well, children's picture books, as an example, I think, um, if you have, attractive books it doesn't actually matter who they're by uh if a child spots one and likes the look of it their parents will buy it for them and equally if the parents want recommendations i can recommend them but largely the way i introduce them is by doing author events most of the independent authors i i work with are from this area broadly speaking and by broadly that can include um whales even uh, i've had authors from from cheshire wales manchester and doing author events is, is a really good way of introducing authors that uh people might not have heard of before because the children the children love to come and have a story told by the person who wrote it and they've we've developed sort of devotees of some of the authors in in just by doing that so they'll know that next time i do an event by a particular author they'll um they know it's going to be good and they'll come along so you've even had our own Susie Wilde come along and uh, spend some time with you. Tell me about that. Oh, that was a lovely evening. Susie came and um, and did a writing workshop with us, which was absolutely fascinating. Because again, I do have I do have a little hardcore of um, of writers who frequent the shop, even when they're not promoting their own books. They'll come to other things as well. And we had, we had a lovely evening with Susie. We sat up in the coffee shop, and it was a very creative quite inspiring evening she's a lovely personality everyone thoroughly enjoyed the evening and susie acquired um acquired some new fans in the process i think at the time of recording this significantly more of a lockdown in the northwest of england how is that impacting on you and your bookshop the bookshop strangely it, it isn't impacting hugely and in fact in some ways certainly of late as things have tightened up there seems to be more of um more of a feeling of people being determined to support independence. So I've had people coming in who I know have come in because they want to support me at this time. It's impacted on our coffee shop greatly, um, and even more so with the most recent restrictions by which people can't um, meet outside family groups because a good 60 70% of our trade were people coming to meet friends. So that was wiped out overnight. But as far as the bookshop's concerned, I mean, whether it's the run-up to Christmas starting or what, but there's a definite feeling that people are trying to support independence. And there's quite, um, in the local area, there's quite um, a movement at the moment on social media and other ways of trying to encourage all the local independents to, to support and promote each other which we are doing. We're all becoming quite good friends, which is nice. Whether How it will continue to impact, I don't know. It's, it is worrying. Um, we've been lucky enough to obviously be supported with a grant from the government and also the furlough scheme. So quite how that's going to pan out after the, um, the furlough scheme finishes, I don't know, because my coffee shop staff are all on furlough or semi-furlough at the moment. We'll just have to see how it goes. It's, it's, it's a worrying time. But... 
we'd, we'd like to think that we you know, try and keep optimistic and that things will return to some semblance of normality at some point in the future, and we'll be here to, uh, to meet it. Petersfield's Shine Radio. Okay, Susie, now it's time for your backlisted book of the month. Well, here's my nod to Halloween. Um, I'm going to talk about Ghostland by Edward Parnell. Is it a book you know, Tim? It's not. Tell me about it. Haven't I done well? You know, two months in and I've chosen two books you don't know. This is incredible. I ought to go out and do the National Lottery tonight. Um, Right, so Ghostland, it's In Search of a Haunted Country is the full title, uh, which was shortlisted for the Penn Ackley Prize I've just seen in 2020. So I first came across this book on the Facebook page which is, um, I think it's British Folklore and Horror Society or something like that. So, you know, Tim's curling is up a lid. It's not not a Facebook page I've been on very often. (laughs) (laughs) But I love this, you see, this is why I love it. But what they were talking about was the fact that this book goes to all the places that they also love. Philip Hall said, a uniquely strange and wonderful work of literature, an exciting new voice by Mark Cocker, author of Crow Country, which I must admit I haven't read either. But I do know the author, yes. There yes. you go. Yeah. So there. So this is what it says. In his late 30s, Edward Parnell found himself trapped in the recurring nightmare of a family tragedy. For comfort, he turned to his bookshelves, back to the ghost stories that obsessed him as a child and to the writers through the ages who have attempted to confront what comes after death. Well, this was so relatable to me, so I was already hooked. In Ghostland, Parnell goes in search of the sequestered places of the British Isles, our lonely moors, our moss-covered cemeteries, our stark shores and our folkloric woodlands. I was born opposite a cemetery, so I'm going to have this, aren't I? He explores how these landscapes conjured and shaped a kaleidoscopic spectrum of literature and cinema from the ghost stories and weird fiction of M.R. James, Arthur Machen and Algernon Blackwood to the children's fantasy novels, yes, of Alan Garner and Susan Cooper, who I absolutely, both of those, totally adore, from W.G. Siebel's The Rings of Saturn and Graham Swift's Waterland to the archetypal folk horror film The Wicker Man. So I love the breadth of his experience. Obviously, I mean, it's wrong with me in a way, but it so echoes things that I love and so on, particularly, you know, and they are a bit disparate, aren't they? But W.G. Seabold, I adore, and the fact that he has black and white photographs actually in his novels and so on and Ghostland also does so because I'm very visual as well as you know so I quite like having that aspect as well and I adore The Wicker Man Um, and there's something quite funny as well about horror it kind of gets into your brain but often you've laughed at the thing itself but then it just kind of gets into your brain So Ghostland is Parnell's moving exploration of what has haunted our writers and artists and what is haunting him. And it finally says it is a unique and elegiac meditation on grief, memory and longing and of the redemptive power of stories and nature, which is what, you know, this is what Peaceful Shine Radio is all about, the redemptive power of wild walks and talking books. What's night to like, Tim? Sounds great. It sounds quite contrasting to to what I've been talking about, the slightly more 
frothy end of the of the reading material of Dawn French and uh, Richard Osman and Ruth Jones. So it's a good contrast. I know who'd have thought it. Anyone listening would think it would be completely vice versa, wouldn't they? But I'm going to end with one of the things that I mean about it sometimes being almost comedic in in the in the actuality. But one of the things he references via Graham Swift and Waterland, if any of you know that it's that set completely in the fens and my husband Richard comes from the fens and it really amuses me that there are these dark horrible places that I refuse to ever live there called Denver Sluice and something else ditch I mean it honestly it's awful you can, and you can fall in a ditch and drown in two feet of water there so it's it's horrible really black black nasty dark water. I, I just remember the eels from that book Yes, the eels were there. Well, of course, and you cycled, didn't you? Anyway, but he references um, uh, one of those public information films that they used to be very keen on. And there was one called Lonely Water, made in 1973, starring Donald Pleasance. And this is reverberated. Edward Parnell is younger than me, so his boyhood was ruined. He almost can never go wild swimming at the mere thought of Donald Pleasance in a black-robed gown going, don't go near water, or words to that effect. Um, And there's a bit at the very end that just... he. Children now, if you speak to somebody who was a child in 1973, will go, oh, my God, that was the most terrifying, terrifying thing. So I'm going to end with a bit of Donald Pleasance. I'll be back. Thank you for that, Susie. Next month, I'll have suggestions for books that will make great Christmas presents. Oh, good idea. And following that in December, we'll be joined at One Tree Books by Kate Moss. If you want to read my backlisted choice for that month, it is one of my favourites, her book Winter Ghosts, a ghostly love story set in a snowy French village at Christmas. And it's nice and short too. You've been listening to Talking Books, presented by Susie Wilde and Tim O'Kelly, and produced by John Wellsman. Here at Petersfield Shine Radio, we're fundraising with a crowdfunder appeal. With so many people isolated or alone in our community, we think Community Radio can help. So we've teamed up with St Peter's Church to bring live church services to everyone. That includes residents of local care homes. For the vital equipment that will enable us to relay the services in full broadcast quality and investment in other parts of our voluntary service, we need to raise £1,800 by the 27th of October. If you can make a donation towards our total... You'll be helping insecure, isolated and lonely people in our community enjoy the live experience of a local church service in broadcast quality sound. And there are some fun rewards you can buy too, either for yourself or as a unique and memorable gift. Get all the information at petersfieldradio.uk or search Petersfield on Crowdfunder. And on behalf of all our volunteers and everyone we want to help, thank you for your generosity.